0: Today on Lawfare No Bull,
1: the House committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot held a business meeting on the evening of December 13th to discuss a report recommending that the House cite Mark Meadows in criminal contempt of Congress following his refusal to cooperate and testify before the committee. The motion passed unanimously.
2: The select committee is meeting this evening to consider a report on the resolution recommending The House of Representatives find Mark Randolph Meadows in contempt of Congress for refusal to comply with a subpoena duly issued by the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. The Select Committee's report referring Mr. Meadows for criminal contempt charges is clear and compelling. As White House Chief of Staff, Mr. Meadows played a role In or was witness to key events leading up to and including the January 6th assault on the United States Capitol. Don't let lawsuits or op eds about executive privilege by Mr. Meadows or his representatives confuse you. It comes down to this. Mr. Meadows started by doing the right thing, cooperating. He handed over records that he didn't try to shield behind some excuse. But in an investigation like ours, that's just the first step. When the records raise questions, as these most certainly do, you have to come in and answer those questions. And when it's time for him to follow the law, come in and testify on those questions. He changed his mind and told us to pound sand. He didn't even show up. This happened the same day his book was published, the same book that goes into detail about matters the select committee is reviewing. It also details conversations he had with President Trump and others, conversations we want to hear more about. He had also appeared on national television discussing the events of January 6th. He has no creditable excuse for Stonewall in the select committee's investigation. We did receive another letter today from Mr. Meadows' attorney asking that we not hold his client in criminal contempt. Without objection, that letter will be made part of the record. If you are listening at home, Mr. Meadows, Mr. Bannon, Mr. Clark, I want you to know this. History will be written about these times about the work this committee has undertaken, and history will not look upon any of you as martyrs. History will not look upon you as a victim. What's especially jarring about the referral we are considering tonight is that Mr. Meadows was a member of this body for more than seven years. He was a leading voice in certain corners, even briefly, the ranking member of the Oversight and Reform Committee. It's not hard to locate records of his time in the House and find a Mr. Meadows full of indignation because at the time a prior administration wasn't cooperating with the congressional investigation to his satisfaction. Whatever legacy he thought he left in the House, this is his legacy now. His former colleagues singing him out for criminal prosecution because he wouldn't answer questions about what he knows about a brutal attack on our democracy. That's his legacy. But he hasn't left us any choice. Mr. Meadows put himself in this situation, and he must now accept the consequences. So I will support the select committee's adoption of this report, recommending the House cite Mark Randall Meadows for contempt of Congress and refer him to the Department of Justice for prosecution.
3: We are here to address a very serious matter, contempt of Congress by a former Chief of Staff to a former President of the United States. We do not do this lightly. And indeed, we had hoped not to take this step at all. For weeks, as the Chairman noted, we worked with Mr. Meadows' counsel to reach an agreement on cooperation. But shortly before his scheduled deposition, Mr. Meadows walked away from his commitment to appear and informed us he would no longer cooperate. We believe Mr. Meadows is improperly asserting executive and other privileges, but this vote on contempt today relates principally to Mr. Meadows' refusal to testify about text messages and other communications that he admits are not privileged. He has not claimed and does not have any privileged basis to refuse entirely to testify Regarding these topics Let me give just three examples first President Trump's failure to stop the violence on January 6th our Capitol building was attacked and invaded The mob was summoned to Washington by President Trump and as many of those involved have admitted on videotape in social media and in federal district court They were provoked to violence by President Trump's false claims that the election was stolen. The violence was evident to all. It was covered in real time by almost every news channel. But for one hundred and eighty seven minutes, President Trump refused to act. When action by our president was required, essential and indeed compelled by his oath to our Constitution. Mr. Meadows received numerous text messages, which he has produced without any privilege claim, imploring that Mr. Trump take the specific action we all knew his duty required. These text messages leave no doubt the White House knew exactly what was happening here at the Capitol. Members of Congress, the press, and others wrote to Mark Meadows as the attack was underway. One text Mr. Meadows received said, quote, we are under siege here at the Capitol. Another, quote, they have breached the Capitol. In a third, mark, protesters are literally storming the Capitol, breaking windows on doors, rushing in. Is Trump going to say something? A fourth, There's an armed standoff at the House chamber door. And another from someone inside the Capitol. We are all helpless. Dozens of texts, including from Trump administration officials, urged immediate action by the president. Quote, POTUS has to come out firmly and tell the protesters to dissipate. Someone is going to get killed. In another, Mark. He needs to stop this now. A third, in all caps, tell them to go home. A fourth, and I quote, POTUS needs to calm this shit down. Indeed, according to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. They texted Mr. Meadows and he has turned over those texts. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished, Brian Kilmeade texted. Quote, can he make a statement Ask people to leave the Capitol, Sean Hannity urged. As the violence continued, one of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough, Donald Trump Jr. texted. Meadows responded, quote, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. Still, President Trump did not immediately act. Donald Trump, Jr. texted again and again, urging action by the president, quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand, end quote. But hours passed without necessary action by the president. These non-privileged texts are further evidence of President Trump's supreme dereliction of duty during those 187 minutes. And Mr. Meadows' testimony will bear on another key question before this committee. Did Donald Trump, through action or inaction, corruptly seek to obstruct or impede Congress's official proceedings to count electoral votes? Mark Meadows' testimony is necessary to inform our legislative judgments. Yet he has refused to give any testimony at all. Even regarding non-privileged topics, he is in contempt of Congress. Mr. Meadows also has knowledge regarding President Trump's efforts to persuade state officials to alter their official election results. In Georgia, for instance, Mr. Meadows participated on a phone call between President Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger. Meadows was on the phone when President Trump asked the Secretary of State to, quote, find 11,780 votes to change the result of the presidential election in Georgia. We know from the texts Mr. Meadows has turned over that at the time of that call, he appears to have been texting other participants on the call. Again, Mr. Meadows has no conceivable privilege basis to refuse to testify on this topic. He is in contempt of Congress. Third, in the weeks before January 6th, President Trump's appointees at the Justice Department informed him repeatedly that the president's claims of election fraud were not supported by the evidence and that the election was not, in fact, stolen. President Trump intended to appoint Jeffrey Clark as Attorney General, in part so that Mr. Clark could alter the Department of Justice's conclusions regarding the election. Mr. Clark has informed this committee that he anticipates potential criminal prosecution related to these matters and intends in upcoming testimony to invoke his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. As Mr. Meadows' non-privileged texts reveal, Meadows communicated multiple times with a member of Congress who was working with Mr. Clark. Mr. Meadows has no basis to refuse to testify regarding those communications. He is in contempt. January 6th was without precedent. There has been no stronger case in our nation's history for a congressional investigation into the actions of a former president. This investigation is not like other congressional inquiries. Our Constitution, the structure of our institutions, and the rule of law, which are at the heart of what makes America great, are at stake. We cannot be satisfied with incomplete answers or half-truths, and we cannot surrender to President Trump's efforts to hide what happened. We will be persistent, professional and nonpartisan. And we will get to the objective truth to ensure that January 6th never happens again.
0: But It's shocking that we now have to face the fact that Mr. Meadows admits he played both an official and unofficial role in trying to undermine the results of the 2020 presidential election. This committee's job is to find out about that plot, the plot which led up to the events on January 6th, and to propose legislative changes to prevent something like that from ever happening again. Now, it's been reported that during the lead-up to January 6th, the White House was directing the Department of Justice to investigate outrageous, really crazy conspiracy theories uh, to try and seed doubt about the election and as a predicate uh, for the overturning of the election and the replacement of electors. This was to benefit Mr. Trump's effort to overturn the election. We need to talk to Mark Meadows about that. As uh, the vice chair has mentioned, uh, Mr. Meadows made a surprise visit to the state-run audit in Georgia, uh, which preceded the infamous call that she uh, recited where the then president asked the uh, secretary of state to go find votes. We need to talk to Mark Meadows about that. Mr. Meadows interacted with a lot of people, allegedly including some of our own colleagues, on the day of the violent attack, and we've learned that many of those inve- interactions took place on a personal uh, cell phone device. So we need to ask Mark Meadows about that. Mr. Meadows himself has acknowledged that he has responsive and non-privileged documents and communications. He sent some of them to us. He filed others in court. It certainly appears that Mr. Meadows played a key role in events that culminated in the violent attack on the Capitol and on our democracy. He has important information about those events, and he must follow the law and cooperate with this committee's lawful requests or face the consequences. And that's why, much as we might personally like Mr. Meadows, we have to take this action today because no one is above the law. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
4: Uh, This is a near unique moment in history as we vote on whether to hold a former colleague in contempt of Congress. The last time that happened was 1832. Mark Meadows has committed a crime, in this case, a premeditated one. He thought carefully about his actions and actively chose to stonewall, which you can clearly see in his back and forth with the select committee. First, he produced over 9,000 pages of documents from his time in the White House. Then, after his former boss made it clear his disappointment and displeasure, he did a 180 and he refused to answer even a single question from his former colleagues or even to show up at all. This constitutes legal contempt, but also personal contempt. Mark Meadows' actions demonstrate his contempt for Congress, for the select committee, for his former colleagues, and for the integrity of the democratic process. He has clearly rejected this committee's investigation, so now it's time to see whether the Department of Justice can be more persuasive No one is above the law, not even a former president's chief of staff. In a nation of laws, you cannot have it both ways. He can't decline to tell his story to Congress and on the very same day, publish part of that story in a book to line his pockets. He can't decline to answer any questions on the many non-privileged documents he produced to us. He can't unspeak what he has said and call it privileged after the fact. It is perfectly conceivable that portions of what a president's chief of staff knows is subject to a presidential privilege, shielding it from disclosure. But it is also true that not everything he knew or did during that period is privileged. Mark Meadows knows that. It's why he sent us the documents he did and why he what made his book possible. That's why the law required him to show up For his deposition, and to specify in response to each question what the answer was and whether or not that answer, in fact, was privileged from disclosure. His refusal to comply with the direction of Congress, stated plainly, on the face of the select committee's subpoena, is a display of his contempt for Congress, which now forces us to sadly have to take this action.
5: I want to pick up where Mr. Kinzinger left off. 9,000 pages of records. That is what Mr. Meadows has turned over, records over which Mr. Meadows himself has asserted no claim of privilege. None. These include thousands of text messages spanning the months before uh, Election Day, between Election Day and the end of the former president's term in office. Of these documents, I'm particularly struck by messages that come from lawmakers who were sending them to Mr. Meadows in the days around January 6th. a time period, he's now saying he won't discuss with the committee. I want to display just a few of the messages he received from people in Congress. The committee is not naming these lawmakers at this time as our investigation is ongoing. If we could cue the first graphic. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. You can see why this is so critical to ask Mr. Meadows about, about a lawmaker suggesting that the former vice president simply throw out votes that he unilaterally deems unconstitutional in order to overturn a presidential election and subvert the will of the American people. Here's another from January 6th, as the riot was ongoing. And if we could cue the second graphic. The President needs to stop this ASAP. On the 6th, Mr. Meadows received dozens upon dozens of panic messages like this one from lawmakers and others trapped on Capitol Hill. From people watching at home begging that the White House, that the President of the United States do something to stop the violence. How did Meadows react to these cries for help? Whom did he tell? What did he do? And critically, what did the President of the United States do? And what did he fail to do? Mr. Meadows doesn't think he should have to answer those questions. He wants the American people to be left in the dark. Here's the last message I want to highlight, again from a lawmaker, in the aftermath of January 6th. If we could cue graphic number three. Yesterday was a terrible day. We tried everything we could in our objection to the six states. I'm sorry. Nothing worked. The day after a failed attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power through violence. An elected lawmaker tells the White House chief of staff. I'm sorry. Nothing worked. That is chilling we would like to ask Mr. Meadows what he thought about that. Mr. Meadows' behavior and his refusal to do his moral duty shows why we need stronger tools to enforce congressional subpoenas. It's an issue I've worked on for years. But in the absence of those changes, we will use the tools that we have. And I expect the Justice Department to move as swiftly in dealing with Mr. Meadows as it did with Mr. Bannon and prosecute him for violating the law and his duty as a citizen. I support advancing this contempt referral,
6: Mr. Chairman, and I yield back. Last Tuesday, December 7th, the select committee received a letter from Mr. Meadows' lawyer telling us that his client's appearance for the deposition had become, and I'm quoting, untenable. Something else happened last Tuesday. The chief's chief hit the bookstores. Mr. Meadows' memoir. Remember, this is a witness Who's refusing to comply with the law and answer our questions in part because he says the former president hasn't in- instructed him to do so he says he was the chief of staff and he couldn't possibly disclose his conversations with the former president but let's take a look at the book this is from a section dealing with the January 6th rally at the Ellipse and I'm going to put this quote up here on the screens I'm not going to read the whole because we all know what the president said publicly that day, but I want to read this part. When he got off stage, President Trump let, let me know that he had been speaking metaphorically about the walk to the Capitol. He knew as well as anyone that we couldn't organize a trip like that on such short notice. This is interesting because the select committee has a lot of questions about what the president said and did on January 6th. We have a lot of questions about the protests that day and how they escalated into a riot. And Mark Meadows says he can't discuss those details with us, but apparently, he can put them in his book. He can also discuss them on television. Just weeks after January 6th, Mr. Meadows discussed his interactions with the former president in an interview with Laura Ingraham. Ms. Ingraham asked him, at any time, did, president, did the president of the United States want to or seek to interfere with the vote counting of legitimate votes at the election. He was happy to answer her question. Fast forward to last week. Mr. Meadows is back on TV a number of times discussing conversations with the president about security concerns on January 6th. We had questions about that too. We had questions about his emails that focused on protecting, quote, pro-Trump people, end quote. He'll share details about his interactions with the former president with Laura Ingraham. He'll share the details with Sean Hannity. He'll share details with anyone who will shell out 25 bucks for his book. But in the face of a lawful subpoena from the select committee, as we work to get answers for the American people, the only thing Mr. Meadows will share are his excuses. We don't accept his excuses. He must be held accountable.
1: Mr. Meadows was a central participant in the events that culminated in this assault on our Capitol our country, and our core democratic values. To create the most accurate account of what occurred, why it occurred, and what specific steps we can take to prevent it from occurring again, our committee needs to hear from Mr. Meadows. The Supreme Court once observed that a subpoena is not a, quote, an invitation to a game of hare and hounds in which the witness must testify only if cornered at the end of the chase. Yet, as detailed in the underlying report, it is clear to any reasonable observer that Mr. Meadows has treated this committee's request for relevant information as if it were a game. To read the record of how Mr. Meadows has responded to our subpoena issued in late September is to come away exhausted, exasperated, and just enraged. Any regular citizen who flouted a congressional or court subpoena like Mr. Meadows would have faced serious legal challenges consequences, and rightly so. This is not a witness who has acted in good faith, generally willing to tell his side of the story while declining to disclose certain information based on clear and colorable assertion of legal privilege. To the contrary, Mr. Meadows initially delayed, resisted, and made unreasonable legal arguments, failed to produce documents in a timely fashion, and refused to appear for a scheduled deposition. Then he had an apparent change of heart and and pledged his cooperation, leading to the production of about 9,000 emails and text messages. And then he reversed course yet again, categorically refusing to be deposed about what those documents reveal. In summary, Mr. Meadows' tactics have wasted the committee's time and taxpayer-funded resources. He's left us with incomplete and inadequate information about what he did and what he knows and hindered our effort to find the truth. It bears emphasis that the documents Mr. Meadows ultimately turned over raise as many questions as they answer. For example, the documents confirm that Mr. Meadows used personal Gmail accounts and a personal cell phone to conduct official business and to send communications related to January 6th, and that he also used Signal, the private messenger application. Had Mr. Meadows been deposed under oath, the committee would have asked him about his handling of official government records, a topic that is not subject to any conceivable legal privilege. This is a critical line of inquiry because we need to know if Mr. Meadows did not properly preserve all of his official emails, texts, and messages, and provide them to the National Archives as required by law. After all, our committee has requested, and will hopefully soon receive, a wide range of Trump administration records from the National Archives. We need to know whether the universe of records in the Archives' possession is complete and comprehensive. Understanding Mr. Meadows' compliance with federal record-keeping laws will help ensure that our committee ultimately receives all of the relevant documents we are entitled to review as part of our fact-finding mission. As a result of his actions and inactions, Mr. Meadows is clearly in contempt of Congress and should be referred to the Department of Justice for criminal prosecution. Mr.
7: Meadows' sudden vanishing act is intolerable to the rule of law and to the work of our committee. Imagine how our justice system would break down if any witness could decide to stop cooperating midway through a proceeding. The 9,000 pages that Mr. Meadows has produced in disclosed documents, without asserting any kind of privilege, put him in the thick of the action with Donald Trump as the Capitol was overrun by violent um, insurrectionists and as Trump and others tried to overthrow Joe Biden's majority in the Electoral College by exerting coercive pressure on Vice President Pence. We are getting a comprehensive portrait of what took place on January 6th, but Mr. Meadows' testimony is very significant for us. Mr. Chairman, the committee has bent over backwards to accommodate Mr. Meadows' requests. It's now clear that he has no intention of complying with the subpoena, even when his testimony could have no theoretical connection to an executive privilege claim. For example, he's categorically refusing to show up to testify about 9,000 pages of documents he has already turned over to the committee and for which he has thus nullified any hypothetical assertions of executive privilege. He is refusing to testify about statements he has made in his book published last week and in the media about the events of January 6th. This is again another category of statements where any conceivable executive privilege claim that could be invoked by President Biden or asserted by former President Trump has already been deliberately abrogated and waived by Mr. Meadows. This witness must testify like 300 other witnesses before him have done, either voluntarily and proudly as a patriotic citizen, or at least under compulsion of subpoena by the Congress of the United States. But he has no right anywhere in our constitutional system to defy a subpoena from the House of Representatives. And if anyone we have called as a witness knows in his bones that he must testify before our committee, it is Mr. Meadows himself. Repeatedly through his career in Congress, he insisted that even high-ranking executive branch officials must comply with congressional subpoenas for documents, information, and testimony. In the last administration, multiple times, Mr. Meadows found high-ranking officials hiding information from Congress, withholding relevant documents, or quote, even outright ignoring congressional subpoenas. And he said this at one point, This level of conduct, paired with the failure to even feign an interest in transparency, is reprehensible. And whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, this kind of obstruction is wrong, period. For nine months, we've warned them consequences were coming. And for nine months, we've heard the same excuses backed up by the same unacceptable conduct. Time is up, and the consequences are here, unquote. A subpoenaed witness cannot thwart Article I congressional power and process simply by filing an Article III lawsuit. The Meadows lawsuit against individual members of this committee is extremely dubious in light of the Speech and Debate Clause and other major constitutional roadblocks. And its substantive allegations are clearly frivolous, such as his central absurd claim that Congress has no legitimate purpose in investigating and reporting on a violent attack on our capital, our presidential election, and the peaceful transfer of power. If we have no legitimate legislative purpose in investigating a violent insurrection against our own government, well, then we simply have no legitimate legislative purposes at all. If this investigation is not necessary and proper to everything else we are doing in Congress, then the Constitution has been hollowed out by official lawlessness and a shocking collapse in critical thinking skills. Meadows' last-minute suit is plainly a tactic to delay and obstruct our investigation, and it need not detain us any longer, Mr. Chairman. We have received overwhelming cooperation and participation from Americans who can help us piece together this shocking sequence of events, and we have a duty to collect all of the evidence we need to report back to Congress and to the American people on a matter of the utmost gravity and importance to the future of American democracy. I favor this resolution to proceed with criminal contempt, and I yield back to you, Mr. Chairman.
8: As many of us have echoed this evening, we do not take this vote lightly. But this committee and this Congress is left with no other alternative when in the midst of an investigation of this magnitude, we are stonewalled at every turn by those who played a central role in the planning and execution of the January 6th attack. We have a detailed picture of the attack and the events leading up to it. Our committees heard from almost 300 people, we've received more than 30,000 pages of documents, and we continue to follow up every day on the more than 250 tips received through our tip line. Let's be very clear about Mr. Meadows' role and why his testimony is so important. In the course of our investigation, we've heard from individuals involved in the planning of the rallies that immediately preceded the violent attack on the Capitol, and we know some of those people were in direct contact with Mr. Meadows. We want to ask him about that. We've heard from former White House staffers who are helping us understand what was going on in the White House in the time leading up to January 6th. Mr. Meadows was the chief of staff in the White House, so we want to ask him about that. We've heard from officials at the Justice Department who are on the receiving end of instructions to amplify unsupported claims about the outcome of the election. Mr. Meadows was integral in those efforts, so we want to ask him about that. We've heard from state-level officials about the pressure campaigns and the relentless public attacks on democracy in Arizona, Michigan, and Georgia. But Mr. Meadows actually went to Georgia in connection with the recount effort. The committee and the American people must hear from him about that. We are investigating an attempt, as Juan or put it, to overthrow the government. The fate of our republic has never faced a threat as acute and as imminent as we face today and that we are looking into through this investigation. The extent of this effort reached the highest levels of our government, and it runs right through Mr. Meadows. Anything less than his full cooperation further enables the erosion of our Constitution, our democratic institutions, and the rule of law. I join my colleagues in urging an aye vote on this resolution.
2: The clerk will report the vote. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero nos. The motion is agreed to. Without objection, the select committee stands adjourned.
5: Lawfare Noble is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com Lawfare. That's www.patreon.com Lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare Noble wherever you found us. And you should share us on all the social medias. And as always,
3: thanks for listening.